Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. Personally lit any fireworks at Disney World yet, Bree? Uh, I just set the whole park on fire. It's just kind of the same thing. So, yeah, uh, Space Mountain is burning. That is a rough ride. That is way rougher than I remember it. It we it's uh, a rough ride for tall people because it was designed back in the fifties when everyone was four feet tall. So if you're six feet tall, like a normal human. You know, it's very hey, uncomfortable. Hey, well, I, I mean, I'm I'm basically a uh, I'm a hobbit, so I don't have that yeah. kind of an issue. But um, yeah. I've noticed as I'm, you know, since I just got back from Disney and you're there, I guess we should say. But um, I I've noticed that I'm much more concerned about the state of my back on those rides than I used to be, and it's oh. yeah, it because I feel it like half of me is excited to be on the ride, and half of it is half of me is worried about where I'm going to find Mickey's chiropractor after I get off because it's <laughs> it, it's like some of those some of those rides are just like they they stop really suddenly, and all of a sudden your your back is in kind of a C shape afterwards. It's not yeah. it's not great. It's like the first sign that you know you're getting old. I know. I realized that you're as like, I was. Oh, wait as a I was, second. Yeah. I'm caring about my health. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I'm I'm on a roller coaster and I'm worried about my back. What has happened to me? This didn't happen when I was ten. Steve, this is how it works. You go find a teenager in a Mickey costume and you just hand them two hundred dollars and you go take care of my back, and then they will. You'll have a I Mickey think that Mouse might character. end yeah. very differently, Bree. <laughs> or I could I could just pay them to ride on the rides with my children, and then I wouldn't have to worry about it either. That would also save me the trouble. See, but. see, this is why I'm going to be a non-parent for life <laughs> because. Because, like, you come to Disney and you go on all the stupid rides. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Snow rides, like Little Mermaid. Please, Frank and I are on the dinosaur ride and you can just kiss my ass because it's so <laughs> awesome. Like, it's great. Yeah. Is that what you say to Mickey before you get on the ride? You do? You do say that to Mickey? I I I say whatever I want to Mickey because <laughs> honesty is very important in a relationship. So, yeah, we have that kind of openness between us. I guess you pay a lot to Mickey. I did learn that Kylo Ren does not like to be hugged, though. We learned that the hard way. Oh, no, you <laughs> tried to hug Kylo Ren. Yeah, so they have all the Star Wars stuff at Hollywood Studios now. And so my one of the twins has, like, a hardcore crush on Kylo Ren. It's kind of a problem. <laughs> what? Oh, no, Steve. I'm so Steve, screwed. Steve, that is not going to work out for her. <laughs> I know. She's heading oh, no. to the dark side. I know. Oh, no. No, it's not the dark side. She's going to be, like, dating members of the alt-right. Like, yeah, I'm no, like, no, it's, no. Yeah, it's not good. No. It's not good. No. She's already yeah. gone way to the dark side. So so we go – so they have a, a character greeting with Kylo Ren. So we go yeah. in, and it's not – like, most of the character greetings, the cast member brings you in, and, you know, they give you a hug, and then they, they have a conversation with you. And Kylo Ren ha- is having none of that. The dark side doesn't hug. 
Oh no, there are no hugs on the dark side. Um, so, so he like motions you in and you, you go, it is like, um, you know, an authoritarian regime, you go and you stand where Kylo Ren tells you to stand. And then she tried to give him a hug and the cast member stepped in. Kylo Ren does not like to be touched. Okay. Okay. That's really, that's, that's kind of, I don't know. That's setting kids up for failure. And I don't appreciate that. What happens when a kid is like, oh my God, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. And I feel so sad now. And then the kid starts crying and then it's just this whole thing. Well, you have to know that about the dark side. I think this is a life lesson. Oh my yeah. god. A no, life this is this fiction. is how you handle it, Steve. Yeah. This is how you handle it. So you get the Kylo Ren poster in her bedroom <laughs> and you just walk in there with the Sharpie and just put a big X on it and then you paper on top of it a poster of Micah Sargent instead. And you go, this is acceptable. <laughs> That's what you do. Uh, yeah. So how did, how did she react? She, I, I, she was okay with it. Cause I think she realized that that was Kylo Ren's personality. You know, he, I, that's probably part of the appeal is that he's kind of unreachable. I don't know, but it's, she, um, she liked him more is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it affected you see, her. This is um, why girls go yeah. for the bad boys. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I, I had a Jawa who was very excited to see me, so that was Aww. that was fun. Because I was wearing my Tatooine Trader shirt, and the Jawa saw it and jumped up and down. And so I had some pictures of me with a Jawa, oh God, that's adorable. with a that's very adorable. excited Jawa. That's so, adorable. Yeah. All right, we should get uh, this show on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we already oh, I, thought, I thought this was yeah. a Disney World yeah. show. I thought this is this what we were doing. Yeah, now, the we were, Disney World. We're yeah. just going to talk Disney about Disney. This is a Disney podcast now. We're not talking about anything else important. That's. No, we should we should we should move on. But yeah, yeah. so that's why um, I was that's why I was conspicuously missing last week. I was out searching for my patron as Salty the Seal. So, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> and also, my favorite part was that somebody reached out and said, uh, "I didn't hear you at all in the show this week. Did did Steve have even come?" I was like, "You have to listen past the the outro music," um, which oh, is God. where we all all realized suddenly that Steve Shh, that, was not. Oh God, you didn't know. You didn't. You just outed us. Oh yeah, yeah, Steve totally didn't know um but moving right along to uh the matters of this week if you hadn't heard the World Wide web consortium or more commonly known as the w3c uh they're taking a step back in uh security of 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 normal human beings um who use the internet so you know for a long time it was the case that security researchers um would do their best, uh, try their darndest to, um, you know, come to companies and say, look, you've got these flaws in, in the programs that you're making and it's going to result in people getting hacked. It's, it's, it's a technological issue that's going to be, uh, you know, vulnerability. And the companies would sometimes, uh, kind of sit on their hands and not do anything. So then the researchers would publish their information so that people could know that, hey, they shouldn't use Use this program. Well, now we've got um, the consortium uh, trying to push forward a this, this standard, the standardized system that says that uh, security researchers or can't reveal information except by the way that the companies who make the browsers say that they should. So simply put, uh, if you if they find a problem in a browser, if, if a browser has an issue, um, the company gets to decide how and when that information is disclosed. And that is the only way forward. Otherwise, it is illegal and can result in criminal and civil penalties. 
Can can I add something to this here, Micah? Of course, because yes. this this researcher, one of the people in the WC three, reached out to me um, to talk about this. And just because you know I'm running for office, I just want to put both views out there because this is a complicated issue. So, um, you know, generally the WC three's position is that the the EFF's criticism of this is very unfair. And uh, you know, I looked at this, and it it seems very clear that the WC3 is opening up security researchers for liability. And one of the really cool things that they've done in the past is they've said, well, if you're going to uh, use this uh, set of technologies, what you're going to have to do is to decline to patent anything that you're doing around it. So it's this kind of a trick that opens up all the, the standards and kind of fights about against uh, software patents. The WC3's position here is that the EFF is being reactionary. They don't think it's a fair summary here. And honestly, like whether this does or does not create liability is really more of a question for a lawyer, right? Because none of us are lawyers here. Uh, so, you know, basically the EFS position is that it does create liability. WC3 says that it doesn't. And that's the difference of opinion here. I do think that, you know, having looked at it with just, um, you know, a, a me reading the standards myself, I do kind of come away with the impression that it is creating liability. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah, I, I read some of the um, back and forth. Uh, in fact, you know, we'll of course include links to the the tweet uh, and some back and forth between the W3C and uh, Cory Doctorow and the EFF. Um, and in fact, further on down the thread, the W3C's Twitter account gets involved as well. Um, yep. And yeah, there's some interesting discussion on the back and forth there that uh, you know opens this up and adds even more layers. I think, but. Um, Overall, you know, whether there's a liability uh, legally or not, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, especially to hear from Steve on this matter. But um, I would like to live in a world where if a security researcher comes across something, um, they should not feel any, I guess, legal concern about being able to share that information so that I feel safer, so that I know that that's being uh, shared and can be either acted upon or I can take my own action and move to a different browser in the case of browsers. The problem isn't even uh, W3C's uh, um, wanting to put DRM into the standard. I mean, from what I'm reading, they basically would rather they're the ones to do it rather than let the companies work on their own and maybe they can make it not as terrible as if some of the individual browser developers would put it in themselves. But the problem is really the DMCA because it's been abused so many times by companies to try to freeze people out of of doing anything with their software. I mean, there was HP famously put DRM in their ink cartridges. There there was a, a market for third-party ink cartridges, and there probably still is, and HP put DRM into their ink cartridges so that mm -hmm. the third party if they, if there was a third party ink cartridge manufacturer they could sue them there's not really a, a reason for them to have DRM on there other than that so but the problem with this is that by baking into the standard there's nowhere to go 
because every browser is going to have to implement this in order to be W3C compliant. And therefore, every browser uh, is going to be unable to be legally inspected for security flaws. And typically, the, the developers are not the ones finding them. They're going to find some things. But a lot of the times, the way that some of these exploits are found are by white hat security researchers going in and testing them and doing the same things that that quote-unquote hackers would do, but actually reporting it to the companies instead of developing exploits to take advantage of them. And if they're going to be liable, they, I mean, the criminals are going to do it anyway, right? Like, the ha- the people who want to do bad things to your computer or to your browser are going to do that regardless, and it's good to have people who are able to do those same types of things but are willing to let the companies know to fix them also working to do that. And if this stops them, that's really bad. And and browser exploits are not to be taken trivially. Like there was one on Android about a year ago where there was a single exploit that they discovered that could uh, would allow the person who was taking advantage of it through the browser once they executed some arbitrary uh, JavaScript code to be able to install arbitrary applications on your phone and then execute them. So, like, there's some serious, serious liability in terms of browser exploits. And anything that the W3C is doing to make that more difficult, I understand there's, you know, there's a reason for wanting to have this for the people who have their their video content available through browsers. But the liability to them is not is not, you know, trivial, but the liability to end users to not be able to find and report these exploits are is much worse. And you're basically trusting the developer that they're actually going to both find these things on their own. And if they do find them, report them in a timely manner and warn their users, because that's also how these things get out is that somebody if a lot of times these are reported to the companies, the companies don't do anything. And then somebody goes public and then they have to do something. And at least the users know to be able to work around it. If there's nobody doing that work outside the company, that's going to leave a lot of users uh, at risk for a lot of nasty things being being executed on their on their computers and on their phones. And and people are just woefully unprepared and unable to police themselves, period. Let's just say it. Any governing body that is there to also have, you know, whatever laws and rules to then govern itself in that is going to do a really horrible job. It's never a good idea. It's not a good idea for police to then have their own entity be the ones that deal with that because you work together and we're protectionistic. So I think that some companies might do the right thing, and that's lovely. But what about the companies that would not, that wouldn't want to deal with it because it's going to be an embarrassment, and we'll just try to figure it out on our own and see if we can find our way out? I think that the one uh, group that this benefits the most is hackers because then there's like they're still doing it against the law, and so they they win. Yay! Um, less people are going to find out about something and they have longer time to exploit it. And I think that the public is the one that ends up losing because of this, because we are just going to be unaware of that. And so I, I think that it's, um, it's, it's just a really dangerous precedent to set. Believing that companies would want to do the right thing, which sounds lovely, like that's a really nice, lovely, yet exceptionally naive thought process to that. And there might be some benefits to that, but the um, the risks strongly outweigh that. And so, has like anyone really, seen Black Mirror? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Something I think is really intrinsic in the personality of engineers and technologists is we don't think a lot about legal complexities and issues. Um, you know, it's not why you go into engineering, right, to worry about like what the, the legal you know, ramifications are above an issue, around an issue. So I think with this, you know, I couldn't help but read the w, uh, W3C's uh, response to it and really kind of go, yeah, I know that personality type because they're, they're really thinking about, well, we just want the best technology and they're not thinking about the legal liability around it. And it's just something you've absolutely got to think about. So, um, you know, I'm going to meet with, uh, you know, Amy, she's one of the researchers that participated in this thread. Uh, I'm going to meet with her when I get back to Boston, but I, I kind of have to side with the FF here. I do think the, the legal uh, thing they're responding to here is fair. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the thing is that for, I mean, we've talked about this. This is like a, becoming a recurring theme of the show, but a, a company is not going to put the effort into that into something like security unless they have to. I mean, there's mm-hmm. not, which is not to say that they're not necessarily going to do it proactively because they don't want it to become a liability, but the less chance of it being a liability, the lower it goes on their priority list. Well, we've already seen that happen so many times already, um, and they covered up, and it's only because of someone that's been looking through um, code or found other emails that we've figured these things out. It is really, really rare that the company is the first person that comes forward unless someone else has already said, listen, I'm letting you know this before I let it go public. And then the company comes out and says it. It does not ben- benefit the public. It might benefit companies. It might benefit them legally and it might benefit them with wise of patents. But you know what? I really think that the public is the one that is it's important to know if they had a defective product for children's toys and they had the same legal jargon that went around that, that if you found out that a public, a toy that children used would choke or kill them and the laws were different in that, well, it would go first to the toy manufacturer and then they would get to decide to deal with it. And well, however many children would choke and die in between that time and they get to decide who breaches it and how it's dealt with and what happens, everyone would be in an uproar. Um, Because it's our privacy and our information, people are all complacent and like, oh, that's okay. And I think that that's a little bit ridiculous for us to think that that's not a huge deal because then people can use this information And we can also end up sanctioning and silencing people that are finding out bugs that are happening on governments, websites, our browsers, what's happening, and just to keep us safe. Yeah. And I mean, even if you're going to take the best case scenario, right, like let's give them all the benefit of the doubt in the world, right, which is that the company has found the exploit on their own, but it's difficult to fix, so they're working to fix it, Right. And But they are actively working to fix it. Maybe it's on high on their priority list. Maybe it's not. But typically, and I see this working in IT myself, too, you don't want to make an announcement that there is something broken until you know – because the, the first question that you're going to be asked is when is, when is it going to be fixed? 
And if the answer is, I don't know, that's never a fun conversation, right? And especially when yeah. you're talking about get, going out into the public and making an announcement that there's an, there's an exploit. Well, when is it going to be fixed? I don't know. Well, my browser's broken. What am I supposed to do? They, yeah. it, the tendency is to hold that back, and especially if you've done like a risk mitigation. You say, well, okay, well, it, it's, it's probably not going to happen unless they do this, this, and this. Let's not say anything until we fix it. But the problem is that if somebody finds out before it can get fixed, then they can do a lot of damage. And what the the security researchers are doing is bring that out so that people are at least aware of the risk that they're taking in that, regardless of whether the company wants to take on that risk or not. Right. Because yeah. the company will lose uh, money, right? I get yeah, why the company absolutely. wouldn't want to do it. I'm not even, I, if I was the company, I wouldn't want to let it go either. It's embarrassing. It's bad for the brand. Yeah. You end up losing stock and you end up losing money. I get why a company wouldn't do it, but that's the same reason why, you know, like, me as a psychologist, it's good that I have a governing body that works over me because, no, it wouldn't be a good thing. I think that it's really important to have checks and balances in place to make sure that people are protected. Awesome. Awesome. Very well said. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> this episode of Disruption is brought to you by our lovely, lovely friends uh, over at Smile and their awesome application, Text Expander. Uh, Text Expander for Teams will literally multiply productivity. It gives you a shared knowledge base that your team can draw from, and Text Expander will help everyone communicate quickly and accurately. Imagine a world in which all of your team's common replies are worded by your best writers. All you need to do is set them up once and you can ensure consistency every single time. Imagine that all this text is immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. Also imagine them being available on all the platforms your team is on, on the Mac, on iOS, and now even on Windows. Those, those. In short, this is Text Expander. If used alone, Text Expander is the great little tool which saves you typing things things over and over. But together with your team, Text Expander is a platform for increasing productivity. So, I really 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 dig text expander in fact i use it like every single day on my mac um, i've talked before about how when i put together the schedule for the next day's publications on imore i use text expander to help me build the schedule i've uh, put together this little thing that lets me just hit uh the semicolon and then s-c-h-e-d and then up pops these little fill-ins where i can type in what the titles are going to be and at what hour those articles are going to go out i use text expander for a little things like the little shruggy emoticon, um, mid-sized things like sentences or addresses. I think Text Expander is brilliant, and over the course of using the application, it has certainly saved me a bunch of time. Um, I am I, I like the newest version of Text Expander, which syncs everything with the web. And I recently switched computers, and in doing so, all I had to do was type in my Text Expander information, and bada bing, bada boom, there was all of the stuff that I needed uh, from my previous version of Text Expander. Expander. So I think Smile is wonderful. First of all, they've always been super supportive of our show and mm -hmm. the network. Um, and hey, Smile friends. And then, of course, Text yeah. Expander itself is friggin' great. So visit textexpander.com slash disruption if you want to start a free trial and you're going to learn how companies such as WordPress and Desk and me multiply their productivity using Text Expander. Thank you so much to Text Expander from Smile for supporting this show. Alrighty. Yay. 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 Let's all smile uh, before we talk about this ridiculous topic. Um, 
so seriously, uh, St- Steve had posted in our group message where we kind of keep uh, where we talk about topics related to the show and just also talk to each other um, that House Republicans were not going to be voting on a resolution that the Holocaust targeted Jewish people. Um, And I just I I was at a loss for words in that moment. Um, And of course, it's true. So so on the White House Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, they made a statement where they did not mention Jews at any point. And not not at one point. Uh, they put out a statement again. Yeah, I, we heard the chuckle. Like how they put out a statement where they did not mention Jews at any point. Um, of course, there was blowback for that from literally everybody. Um, and so, in order to try and force a discussion about this, because you know they were asked about it and they said, "Well, you know, we wanted to be more inclusive because it wasn't just the Jewish people that were targeted uh, when the Nazi regime was in power." So. Uh, Democrats put together a resolution uh, trying to get the Republicans to say that the Holocaust targeted Jews and also to apologize for the statement that the White House put out. And it was totally and completely blocked. uh, And that's not going to happen now. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's uh, pretty flabbergasting. My campaign, uh, we looked at this, and uh, we just wanted to make an official comment on this. Uh, And that official comment is, the Republicans can go f*** a duck. And that is our (laughs) official policy. Donald Trump can go f*** a duck. Paul Ryan can f*** a duck. Mitch McConnell can go f*** two ducks. John McCain can f*** a duck while he's flying a cargo plane. Like, he can f*** a duck. And Paul Ryan, in particular, while he has his backwards baseball cap on, he can f*** a duck while he's lifting up two ducks and being f***ed by a duck. So that is my official campaign policy on this BS. And I just, I can't believe the Republicans. I can't even do this. And it's just like, all that's left to say is go f*** a duck. Because like words just fail us at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I will keep this really short because I can rant on this for an hour and then get myself all worked up and I'm not going to do it, but I will link an article that was written by John Podhoritz, who was a speechwriter, I believe for Reagan, who wrote kind of the best uh, overview of this. It, it's basically a Holocaust denial is what it is. There, it, this is a, this is a Holocaust denial tactic to erase the, the fact that the Jews were targeted in the Holocaust because other people were affected, which is not to say that it wasn't a tragedy that millions of Romani and disabled people and mentally ill people were targeted and, and killed in the Holocaust as well. But the, the fact of the matter is that it, that the whole campaign began because of anti-Semitism and the Jews were Mm -hmm. blamed for everything that was wrong in, in Germany and were, and Hitler was convinced that they were going to destroy the country and he targeted them specifically. Or just use them as a smear campaign. Yeah, I mean, so basically this is all lives mattering the Holocaust. And it's not, it's not okay. And especially when the Republicans try to trot out their support of Israel for, as, as support of the Jews, it's, it's clearly, 
you can't you can't square those two things. So yeah. that's all I'm going to so say. So do you agree yeah. with me? The Republicans should go fuck <laughs> oh, a duck. Uh, yeah, uh, they, is that okay? They should fuck all the ducks. Actually, it's <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah, I, okay. that that is my that's my official official statement as a non candidate for non office. <laughs> okay, I feel like that's what, that's well said. Yeah, can we talk? Certainly... So, so can we talk? Can we talk about uh, about blowing up anime girls now? Can we do that? We we can after <laughs> I say that uh, there's there's certainly a future discussion to have about uh, duck abuse because those poor poor ducks. Um, so yeah, Bomberman. Uh, Better the ducks than the American people, Michael. Like a sergeant. That's what <laughs> okay, I say. Okay, fair. That's very fair. Very right. fair. Uh, Bomberman. Have you heard of it? It's it's a it's an arcade game. It's called Bomberman. I'm sure you guys. <laughs> gals have heard of it um it's going to become bomber girl uh so there is going to be a character in the reimagining of bomberman and the character's name is shiro um shiro is joined by momoko the blocker Oren, the high speed attacker and imra the long range shooter for an upcoming four versus four multiplayer arcade yeah. game uh, there are actually going to be about 15 characters that you can choose from they have special abilities it is bomber girl now uh that is the basic synopsis but there is one thing that i do want to note uh because there was a a subhead in this article from mike that we will link that says is bomber girl not safe for work um turns out that uh if you lose a match and you start to um be destroyed then your clothes start to be destroyed oh, as a result no, no, now my question no, is for all of you no, who please, i assume have played please. bomberman um does that happen with bomberman <laughs> do his clothes get destroyed no no uh, no. Okay. Really? And the designs are so good too. Like the designs are really fun. But what what really? is so disturbing about this is it's got the chibi style where they oh, really God. do look like girls, right? Like really young girls, and then they do the anime like hypersexualization thing. That's just so uncomfortable that I just want to go, you know, boil my body with bleach. You know, like it's really. Well, it makes, it, it's the horrible thing is this makes me not want to play. Really, I'm gonna lo- then I have to lose my clothing. So that's like, like uh Yeah, it's that. That's one of the things that it says in the article is like you don't want to lose because if you do then your clothes are breaking off of you what i why i i don't know who's asking for strip bomberman but i don't think that's a thing that i mean i guess maybe it is this is because this is like I, first of all i'm just shocked that konami's actually still making games first of all but I, I this is the same thing they did with that castlevania pachinko game that they put out last year where all of a sudden it's got like a whole bunch of like really scantily clad women and that's like the main draw of the pachinko game. Maybe that's what they think they need to do to and get people to play their games. Really, really suggestively in the first place. I think that that's with yeah. your clothing, right? That, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's before with it's been yeah. torn off. That's what you yeah. look like before it's been turned off. You're in your underwear with little garter belts on. I, I texted something with a group, and this is a character I love. Like, look at her. She's like brunette, and she's got an eye patch, and she's carrying two daggers, and she's just got this, yeah, bring it on, like mentality to her. And then she's not wearing any pants for some reason. So, yeah. She's got her pants. Um, and uh, wait, is this like artwork for the for the game? Because this isn't how the characters actually look in the game. Well, the, yeah, they have the, the they have the the more anime style. That's like the their portraits, and then they have their the chibi style, which is like the the actual characters 
uh, when they're playing the game. But, yeah, so like yeah. the little the little kid version of them are the ones whose clothes get destroyed. Partially because the anime style version is not wearing any clothes at all to even be destroyed and fall off. This is all very creepy, honestly. Yeah, yeah, um, I mean that, yeah that's the problem with it is like it seems like – I mean especially like the gameplay itself, right? Like you could see this being like a Nintendo Switch game if they were to port uh-huh. it because like uh-huh. you have each each it's like a four by four like the you know like the racing games in arcades like where they have the m- multiple uh multiple machines connected and you can play multiplayer on each individual screen like that would translate to the switch really well but i i mean maybe nintendo's a little nintendo is a little bit different than they used to be but like this it just seems like this is the kind of thing that maybe they'd have to give it the Fire Emblem or not Fire Emblem, the Bravely Default treatment when they brought it over here, which is to maybe remove that aspect of the game and make the costumes a little bit less risque, which is a thing that happens when they localize games over to over to the U.S. But I mean, maybe this is a cultural thing. But even then, it's like it's it just it seems gross. It's gross. It's I still don't. So Bomberman did not have deteriorating clothes. No, that's a new thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 that, definitely I'm a still new stuck thing. Stuck on that a little yeah. bit. It's a great twist on this game, though. I mean, Bomberman really needs an update. And the truth is, they've um, kind of pushed the, you know, the the sort of four player like hyper short uh, character as far as it can go. So adding some character designs to this and some of the improvements in mechanics look really interesting. Like uh, if you watch the video that comes with it, like you can kick bombs and then blow up the environment around it, which makes it a much more open gameplay field. So, you know, there's a lot of really awesome stuff here. uh, And it's just really frustrating that they're kind of ruining it before you're even starting. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yes, uh, it, it is. It is definitely ruined on multiple <laughs> levels for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, it's cool. I get. Well, hopefully, if it gets ported over, uh, as Steve notes, that can it can lose the creepiness because yeah, it would be nice. It sounds like <laughs> again, I'm I'm basing this solely on what I'm hearing. Uh, it would be nice. It sounds like to have a new version of Bomberman that is Bomber Girl. Um, also, it was Bomber Man before, not Bomber Boy. No, but okay. it was yeah, it was you know, that, Bomber yeah, it was... Woman, I guess. <laughs> oh Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Georgia, would you agree that this team should go fuck a duck? Do you, do you agree with that? I'm going to have to do so much editing on this show. I swear oh, to God. No, I just want to know. I just want to know. Georgia, do you, do you, do you agree with that? Well, uh, I, I feel bad for the ducks. It might be, you know. Maybe it's a robot point. duck. Okay, well then I feel better about that. Then I can yeah, I can stand I'm by that statement. That too. I I just don't understand okay. why they have to hypersexualize it. I just I it just seems so ridiculous. I love yeah. Bomberman. It's one of my favorite games. And now I I have a little bit of like it just seems ridiculous. Like why don't they I don't know, bomb the environment, uh lose their hair. I don't know. Like there could have been other interesting things. Fatality each other. I wouldn't have cared. That's fatality. Fine. <laughs> you know, bomb malady. No, they're just fatalitying their clothes. It's all. That's that's what they're doing. That is right. one way to look because at that's it. That's why that people is, play Bomberman. Yeah. The the Conway method right there. I, I mean maybe that's what they figure they need to do to get people interested in Bomberman again. You need to show anime boobs to be able to get people to get interested in the game again. They shouldn't have to though. I mean Bomberman's a Bomberman's it's a, a classic. Great game. I know it's they kind don't of have an, to go Yeah. 
you know, they don't have to do something that's a, a cheap trick. Yeah. And I mean, they don't they're not doing that for the Switch game like the the Switch game that's Bomberman R is going to be more of a standard Bomberman game. So I don't think they need to go that route, but maybe that's just what they I think Konami is just so screwed right now in general that that's they're just doing whatever they think they can do to get people to be interested in their stuff. And that that's one way that they they, they know sells. So they're just going to keep going back to that. Well, I guess it's sad. Very All right. Well. Uh, yes. Let's move right along now from the uh, bomb malady to talk about or not talk about, but to hear some questions from our dear listeners. Yay. OK, so we did get one one voicemail and we got we got a twitter dm as well and we've been kind of holding these because we haven't been getting a ton of questions but do feel free to send uh your questions and michael will tell you all those places because he has it in front of them and i am i am lazy and shiftless so i'm not going to go look up those numbers but um so we did get one uh voicemail that i will play for us now hello disrupticons my name is bastian and i got a request and a question for you and the question is, with Valentine's Day coming up and all, um, I've, I've recently fallen for this girl, uh, whom I think is pretty cute. I was wondering, uh, Valentine uh, love letters, have you ever done it? Would you recommend it? Would you recommend not to or anything? Thank you again. So love letters are are nice um I, you know i could remember um back in high school it was like it, it was it should have been like a middle and elementary school thing for me um but the person that i was dating at the time we communicated a lot through through letters and Especially today, uh, when you think about how a lot of our communication happens technologically and people send emails and evites, that probably doesn't happen anymore, uh, and emails and, and uh, text messages and tweets and all that kind of stuff, having a handwritten note is very, uh, very unique. Um, and I think that, you know, anyone can in theory, appreciate something like that. So it's, uh, it, it can be a lovely gesture. And yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's, there's anything wrong with, um, writing something as opposed to, again, uh, sending it in an email or something like that. But you know what else is also nice? Talking and actually speaking to the person. So that's something to consider as well. I, I want to say something. There's, um, I had this happen to me once. It's, it's really uncomfortable that, um, you know, this guy had a really serious crush on me and he, like I'd met him once and he sent me like a ton of flowers and a love letter at the same time. And I barely knew the guy and it just came off as incredibly creepy and inappropriate. So I don't know, unless you've got some sort of uh, communication going in the first place or like a, a glimmer of interest from, from you know, the person you're interested in. Like, I, I don't think you should do that because I think it's, it's putting the woman in a, a situation where, you know, she might feel like she has to respond. Do you know what I mean? It's just oh, like, yeah. it's really, it can be uncomfortable the other side. It's yeah, it's one of those questions <laughs> about about knowing your audience, right? Yeah, um, which yeah. we talk so much about. If you know the person is also interested in you, um, and you feel that right. spark, and you you read people well, 
And then I think that Micah's idea is is beautiful. It's really nice to get something handwritten because we we don't do that anymore. And so whenever send, someone writes me a, a thank you note that's actually handwritten, I I do think of it and hold it in a, a higher amount of like you know the amount of energy and time that is spent in giving that. And then I think that it should be detail oriented and specific, not something that's um, verbose and and very. Like you want it to be like, you know, specific, the things that you care about and makes this person special and different, not just words that sound flowery and beautiful. Um, but I think that you're right, Bri. I've, you know, I think that probably a lot of people have been in that situation where you've gotten one out of the blue. And nowadays, especially, we're very hyper aware of, you know, well, why is this getting? And we get that little bit of like an eerie factor of like, oh, my goodness, you know, who is this? And I, I feel a little bit uneasy. And then it could actually make the interaction in between both of you more awkward. And that could be a negative effect if you don't know if they're like for sure receptive. It's almost the same thing as if you're going to do one of those really big proposals to someone and you see it when like someone's giving this big proposal in the Super Bowl. And then, the, you know, the person had no clue that this was going to happen and they weren't OK with it. And then they're like, what do they do? Are they going to say no to you and be this horrible person? It's it's all that pressure on that. And so you do have to take a look and know that she would want this and feel comfortable with that. And if not, then you should do something that would be much smaller and just, you know, ask if you they wanted to go, you know, for coffee or, you know, get something small that wouldn't be misconstrued as too much or make someone feel uncomfortable because there is that feeling of then this missed reciprocity, right? You got something too big for someone and now they feel very uncomfortable because it isn't in their comfort zone. And I think that we have to be aware of other people's comfort zones before we put them in a position where they feel kind of awkward. It's kind of a big deal to handwrite anything right now in in this day and age. It's almost shocking people still know how to write. Yeah. And, and it's and it's like if you're already in a relationship, I think it's a really nice thing to do. Like when when Maureen and I were were dating, like she went off to be a camp counselor for a, a summer and we were sending each other handwritten cards every day. And and that was, Aww. you know, that was Aww. that. Yeah. Was this before the Internet? This no, this no, nothing was before the Internet, Georgia. Um, <laughs> but th- this was no, this was like two summer. It would have been like eleven before the Internet. Like, no, I had, a, I had like, a, yeah. yeah, I had a three hundred baud modem when I was like eight. Um, wow. Yeah, on yeah. my Commodore sixty four. So nothing was before you. the Internet. But uh, but no, this was like in college. So this was like uh, I think this was two thousand one. It was right after I graduated, and she went off uh, for the summer. And we would. We would, cool. you know, send each other cards and notes and whatever, and and that was really nice. But we'd also been dating for three years, so mm. it, was, it was a little bit different. Like I think that if you're leading with that, if you're not already in a relationship, you're starting off at like a nine, you know, before you really know what the interest is, because it sounds like you're not in a relationship with this person yet. So yeah. I, yeah. I would say yeah. try talking to them and get to know them. Maybe just ask them out for coffee, and then once you've been dating for a little while, then it's a little bit of a you know more reasonable thing to do. But that that's yeah. that's a that's a high risk, high reward play, I think, is, is what that yeah. what yeah. that would be. And, and the, the likelihood of the reward is not very high, I would say. Georgia, something I've been thinking about a lot, especially as we're um, putting together education policy on my my campaign, because we do we have, um, you know, with Betsy DeVos, uh, you know, being uh, secretary of education now, which will you know, basically steal tons of money from public schools. Um, you know, we are putting together alternative 
education plan. And a comment you gave on the show a while back has um, it really hit me to the point where really thinking about this is um, you were talking about the need to kind of teach uh, psychology from a very young age to mm-hmm. to people so they know how to deal with you know depression or losing a friend or even you know kind of the more interpersonal dynamics here like we're talking about to kind of think about well how is this going to be for the other person receiving this because you know like we all had our hearts broken at that age mm-hmm. so um, I don't know I just uh, I wanted to kind of tell you. We're, we're seriously thinking about that. And we're going to be talking about psychologists in my campaign to, you know, look at that would have a place in, uh, you, know, uh, you know, younger curriculum in schools. I love that. I love that. I think that it would, uh, it just would benefit so many people and um, stop so much pain that we go through because it's such a difficult, um, it's so difficult to figure out how do you navigate life? How do you go through things? What are the do's and don'ts? You know, we used to have, you know, um, etiquette classes. And this, and so everyone was kind of understood about this is what happens if someone, you know, suddenly finds out bad news during in a dinner table. At least everyone understood like a little bit. It wasn't really psychology based, but at least we were trying. And now we we really don't. And so I, I think that that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I think that it would help kids and parents be able to navigate better and deal with these really difficult hardships because I see so many people and especially um, millennials that are dealing with so much right now. And then the younger generation that's dealing with even more right now that everything, you know, information is there. We're not sheltered anymore. And I think that that causes a lot of pain and a lot of stress and then we don't know how to handle it. And so I think that that would be such a wonderful benefit to everyone um, that's going yeah. through that. Yeah, we're going to look at it. Beautiful. Um, So we have one more uh, question from Lucas who writes, I'm a sophomore in high school and the town that I live in has a pretty wide range of political beliefs. Because of that, many people at my school, including some of my friends, are conservative. While most of the time this isn't too much of an issue, there's been they've been making jokes about being triggered. How can I explain to them in a way that they'll understand that while I personally don't get triggered, I still take offense at them making the joke? Well, I can. I feel like I can answer this as a as a past conservative because you know you grow up in this. Yeah, I mean, let me just tell you where they're coming from, right? Um, I think generally speaking, um, the culture around conservatism has a, a kind of a, a base assumption that society is too coddled and you kind of need to be tough on people so that they'll grow up and be able to succeed in life. That's where they're coming from. So they're they're getting all these um, jokes from feminists about, you know, like allegedly feminists are being too soft and, uh, you know, they're trying to, to like kind of harden that up. That's where they're coming from. Um, I think that really the only way to to do that is to kind of talk to them and say, like, this is inappropriate, especially if you are someone that's not dealing with hardcore um, you know, trauma around this. Just be like, you know, the, the whole triggering issue, it's not, you know, it's not a joke. There are really people out there that get triggered. I'll give you an example. This last week, um, I had therapy. I'm in long-term therapy for PTSD, like really serious stuff. Uh, you know, my hands shake sometimes when I get really triggered. I have dropped uh, $3,000 computers and broken them for being triggered when I get a flashback and just, I guess, spasm. So this is this is a real thing. Um, so 
I, I think that like asking them to respect you, I think that's where it's coming from. But at the same time, remember, generally speaking, you have to give respect to get respect. So, you know, kind of acknowledging that you understand they're not trying to be hurtful would probably be the way I would go about that. Mm -hmm. I I like the way that you said that, Brie. I think that um, you you really do, if you want to try to bridge a gap in between people, is is start from where they start. Um, and then try to to bring them around to understand we we really are all on this planet together, and um, some people are, are actually trying try to hurt people and deal with that, but most people don't. And usually it comes from a place of not understanding and lacking the empathy to 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 get that. And the the first way to create empathy is to to form an understanding in between both plays. And so if you say it in a way, and really you don't want to have the discussion when you're very upset. And so if you're not very upset, it's much easier to say, you know what, I understand where you're coming from, but what about this? And ask them to answer their own question. And that's a great way to stop their brain's limbic system, the part that is reactive and that they're making the jokes from, because most jokes are kind of like a funny knee-jerk reaction, and so it's not a very analytical thought. And then asking them a question that they would have to answer engages their the part of their their cognitive memory, their analytical part, the brain, the thinking part of your brain that we're all so proud of. And engaging that may will probably also help them go outside of their own box in a way that's safe because they're choosing their limits of how comfortable outside of their main um, confirmation bias that they are. I think that was all very well put from both Brie and Georgia. I just wanted to actually second uh, what Brie was saying because I too uh, grew up very conservative and all of the, you know, that, that mentality is, uh, you know, when I visit home is still very present and uh, not having the understanding of, you know, where people are coming from in these situations is, is a huge problem. And you, you, you just have to, you have to explain where that is because they're approaching it from this position of the person is just being weak or the person is uh, just not, you know, grabbing themselves by the bootstraps and pulling themselves up or what have you when it's really not based in that. And uh, there, there's there often has to be a lot of teaching that goes into that. And I understand it can be a little bit more difficult uh, when it's friends versus family. Sometimes it's vice versa. But um, yeah, I, I just seconding that especially because there is a very specific mindset there that is often not based in any sort of, uh, you know, trying to cause pain. Yeah, well, it's it's a we we often simplify things, right? Like you know, uh, the left is painted as you know weak and and fragile, and and you know the right is like rednecked and ignorant, and neither of those things are usually true. Um, and I I think that I I would actually love at some point, probably not now, and you can cut this entire part out, um, Steve, but to see what happened, how both of you went from like you know being in this conservative roots, and what was that like, and what was the process of changing your viewpoints, um, especially when you're kind of bathed in an area that is different than that. I'm really intrigued with the what happened and how was that process for both of you? Um, I know, Brie, you're busy, but I really would like to know at some point. Um, well, I can I can tell you very quickly. It was... Because um, you, you grew up thinking I, I think it was I'm, like the, you, were, you, were, you were conservative. Very conservative. Okay. Rock-ribbed conservative. I mean, I went to... I was so inspired when George Bush won in 2001. One, that I quit my job and I put everything into my car and I moved okay. to D.C. to go work for the Republicans. Um, 
you know, Georgia, just really, really straight with you here. Um, you know, I had an accident that landed me in the hospital. This is kind of how I went from, um, you know, working for the Republicans to going to rehab and then going back to college to uh, become a journalist. So one of my strongest memories of that time period was waking up in the hospital and my hands were shaking so badly from the damage that I had, like the, the, the brain damage I had, that I could not hold the pen enough and control it enough to sign my name into the hospital. And wow. I'll never forget that I'm trying to hold it. And like I'm having to have a nurse like push a pen into my hand because I can't get my hand to grip around it. And I'm trying to write my name and I can't. And it was that suddenly being helpless where I come from such a hyper privileged background before that um, and needing a system to help me. And it was a it was very much a Dr. Strange moment. Like when I saw that movie, I was like, yeah, that was me coming from that kind of hyper arrogant um, attitude. So, um, you know, for me, it was that realization that different systems did have a part to play in helping people that weren't as fortunate as I was. And, so you know, it happened from when, yeah. when you went from being hyper-privileged to then needing help. Yep. You thought to yourself, hmm, what about others? Yeah, exactly. And But I have to say also it was seeing how the Republicans work up, you know, up close because it's all very simple when it's on Fox News, right? If you're watching Fox News, it seems very straightforward. There is nothing I would have believed. I there I never would have changed my mind on some of these things, I think, if I had not seen the way the Republican Party operates up mm. close. Everything from, you know, saying one thing on gay rights, but then um, like I would be instructed by my bosses to take to take really rich donors out to, you know, the gay clubs in D.C. to, you know, pick up rent boys because they were closeted and didn't know how to take care of those feelings. Seeing us rush into the Iraq war and seeing us say things on Fox News like, oh, we've looked into this, we're being very careful. And then behind the scenes, I'm seeing that that's just a lie. So it was that two, um, that one-two mm. punch of seeing that, like, the, the system I was trusting in was absolutely a sham and then needing help myself. It was kind mm. of those two things together. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we should, we can save my story for another time. I think it's, it would, it would add, you know, an extra 15 minutes to the conversation, <laughs> if not more. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is a story there that involves um, a, mine was mostly based not in um, kind of looking outward, but more looking inward and mm. um, realizing things about myself that then influenced uh, the way that I saw the world and the way that, um, you know, the world saw me, frankly. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, there's there's a video going around right now, um, and I'll, I'll make sure that Steve gets the link to this that I really would love people to watch. Um, and it's a bunch of... Um, people of color talking about the first time when they realized that they were black. Uh, so specifically mm. black people of color. Oh, wow. yes, um, yes, and yes. it is the first moment when they realized they were black up yes. to that point, you know, they had not saw themselves as 
different from others um, and something in their life happened that showed them that they were they were different and were treated differently and it's uh, it's very powerful and um, you know it was my 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 change in things happened as a result of of that and a result of uh, some other stuff so anyway yeah we will talk about it in, in detail some other time um, but for now if you'd like to get in touch with the show and ask questions of your very own, you can give us a call. You can call us at 508-418-3532 to leave a voicemail. You can also tweet us at underscore disruption FM and tweet with the hashtag disrupt me. Or you can send us a direct message if you'd rather keep things private. Uh, per usual, please do let us know if we can use your name on the show. Otherwise, we will default to anonymous. Go and review the show on iTunes or rate it. Remember, you can just leave stars. But we also love it whenever you write things out. And I am going to be keeping track of those so that we can get some new reviews on the show because I'm sure after Bree's call last week to to have you all review the show, there better be some out there. Uh, if you're looking for the show notes, including the link to that video that I just mentioned, you can find them at relay.fm slash disruption or probably in the podcast you're listening to right now. If you are looking for me online, you can find me at www.chihuahua.coffee or at Twitter at Micah Sergeant. Steve, if people are looking for you now that you're not at Disney, where can they find you? You you can probably find me staring out my window at all the snow that's fallen over the last couple of weeks and a couple of days and wishing that I was back in Disney World where it was warm. Or you can find me on Twitter at Wicked Good. <laughs> and Bree, where could people find you? I want to tell you, if you don't review our show, I will destroy you. I will make it my mission in life. I will put such a stranglehold on your gun money. You'll be out on the street throwing rocks. You won't even be able to buy a Nerf gun with that at, at, when you when you invade our space and we fall back, assimilate entire worlds. That's far, no farther. Go review our show right now. That poor microphone. Oh. Very angry. You can so, see me on Space Cat Cal. I won't be tweeting about ducks this week. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fantastic. And last but certainly not least, the queen of the dash and the underscore, oh, George Dow. Oh. Where can people find you? Hey, you made the title. I, I just, know, I just I use didn't. it. <laughs> Someone's squatting on the George Dow. Um, you can. You can um, find me. If she doesn't give you the Georgia Dow Twitter account, I will be destroyed. No, I, mean, I, think I will been make like... it my mission in life. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hotel security is going to come soon. <laughs> There's be people knocking mm. on the door. Is someone okay in there? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Georgia underscore Dow. If you are dealing with anxiety or depression, there's help out there. You can check out anxiety-videos.com and, um, yeah, rate the show, please. All right. All that is left is for Steve to finally come back and say that thing he says every week except for last week. Steve, take it away. (laughs) Go. Why are you still listening? You should be reviewing the show before Bree personally comes and destroys your life. Go. Go. Bye.